0: Welcome to Dear Hank and John.
1: Of course, I prefer to think of it Dear John and Hank.
0: It's a comedy podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. They are both very tired in the throes of the Project for Awesome, recording this the Monday after the P4A ended. Uh, John, why why is Indiana Jones so sad?
1: Why is Indiana Jones so sad?
0: Because his career is in
1: ruins. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what it says about me that I actually sort of enjoyed that one. I was surprised by it. I'm bringing you around. Yeah, by maybe the, by
0: the end of this year, you're gonna be you're gonna be dad jokes all the time.
1: Maybe or maybe I'm just incredibly tired. I have been more physically tired than this, but I do not recall being more spiritually tired. Like I am. Yeah, I am <laughs> empty on the inside.
0: Uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I saw a friend who I hadn't seen in a while, and she said, oh, I saw the things from the Project for Awesome on Instagram. How did it go? And I'm like, it was so great. And then the day after on Sunday, I felt so great. And now every two seconds, I think I'm about to cry, and I have no idea why.
1: Yeah, I'm in a similar position. But we're so grateful to everybody who was part of this year's Project for Awesome. We raised over $1.5 million for great charities, uh, money that is uh, – I don't even know what I'm saying. I, I feel <laughs> like I'm hosting the Project for live stream again. <laughs> uh, it's, like, uh, it's like I'm back in that headspace. Thank you to everybody yeah. who donated. Thanks to all the Dear Hank and John listeners who pitched in. It was so much fun. Uh, I'm very tired, like I said, but it was a lot of fun. And that is the good news for this week, that we raised more than a million and a half dollars. We're so uh, grateful and excited. And yay. Hank, can we answer some questions from our listeners?
0: Uh, yeah. Let's answer some questions from our listeners, John.
1: All right. This first question comes from Alicia, who asks a question that is extremely relevant to my life right now. Dear John and Hank, where did all the websites go? Every time I try to accomplish something on the internet, I'm always redirected to a Facebook page or other social media where I'm required to have an account to access that information. The problem is, I don't have any form of social media. I really don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Oh, Leisha, that's the right call. Should I just cave and make up a fake Facebook account so that I can see concert dates and look at antiques? Facebook is buying, but I'm not selling. Leisha.
0: Where have all
1: the websites
0: gone?
1: Long time passing. (laughs) When Hank and I were kids, uh, we heard that Pete Seeger song song at least 500 million times. It's like our mom and dad's favorite song. So we've both created like 50,000 different versions of it. (laughs) But whenever anybody asks me, where have all... Anything. That's the only thing that pops into my head as well. Hank, can you please stop now? (laughs) I uh, have just ended my relationship for 12 months with Facebook, Reddit, Instagram, and Twitter. Hank, my phone is as dumb as dirt. I can't do anything (laughs) on this device other than text, take incredibly high-resolution pictures, make phone calls, uh, call cabs. Actually, come to think of it, like, the device that I'm holding in my hand, despite ostensibly being a dumb phone, would have seemed like magic to me 20 (laughs) years ago.
0: Oh, yeah. Maybe even 10 Uh,
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, But I no longer have any of the big time sucks in my life. I do have like an app on my phone that is a remote for my TV and I can find mm, out what the weather is going to be like in Shanghai in 14 days. But I can't do the things that kill time, including Facebook. And I have already noticed, Hank, Leisha's problem, which is that if you don't have a Facebook, much of the internet is difficult to navigate.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and in many ways, and in, for many people, I think that the internet kind of is Facebook. Um, right. They they don't use anything else, um, or or the internet is just apps. It is things that you that you locate through apps, and that's such a like a fundamental like an like an antithetical idea to me that that like once upon a time, the internet was this limited place where it was just prodigy or it was just CompuServe. It was just whatever BBS you were inside of. And then it opened up and it was everything. And you could reach everything through this one interface. And now it's like, oh, we're gonna build these walled gardens again. And uh, that's that's sad to me. Uh, And when those platforms have so much power because it's the place that everybody's sort of like hooked into um, both, sort of socially, and you know, for everything else, that's a that's a problem. I think it's a legitimate problem.
1: I kind of agree with you, except that when we were in the walled gardens of CompuServe or AOL or Prodigy or wherever we lived back then, those companies also had tremendous power. It's just that the internet wasn't as big of a force in contemporary life as it is now, and. That's what worries me, is that Facebook and Reddit and Instagram and Twitter control so much of the collective amount of human attention that is available.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and to be clear, I'm not saying that it was the glory days back during CompuServe. Like, I think it was better when that ended, you know, when, when it became distributed and it became like, you know, I could have my website and you could go to my website, but nobody goes to websites anymore.
1: Yeah. Do you remember before you probably don't because our internet eras didn't completely line up but i remember when the world wide web was like beginning to be a popular thing and i remember people trying to explain it to me or show it to me and me being like oh this is so stupid <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just- why don't you just hang out on CompuServe?
1: CompuServe is way better than this. Why would anyone ever use this stupid worldwide Web system? It just goes to show that if you have a technology that you think has a future, you should show it to me. And if I hate it, it's going to be huge. It's
0: going to be huge. I I mean, it, it also goes to show that, like, once upon a time, I thought that I was, like, hip for, like, having spent time on CompuServe. And now it has definitely moved into the, like... Oh, re- like, it's like when grandma had rotary
1: phones. It's just a sign that you're old. Yeah, to- totally. Yeah. It's like, my car had a carburetor and I had to drive it with my hands. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what do you drive your car with now?
1: Oh, I don't drive a car anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm strictly in a driverless car situation. Oh, it, I see. It, yeah. No, I haven't, I haven't touched a steering wheel in months. <laughs> but that's,
0: so, uh, yeah, H- uh, Henry and Alice, they do the, all the driving in the house. Well, like I, the house. you know,
1: I don't have any artificial intelligence or anything in my car, just getting a lot of accidents. <laughs> 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 I go forwards and I go backwards, and then sometimes if there's a bank, it'll turn a little bit. So what I will say to both John and Leisha is that this is what they want. They want
0: their platform to be so integral to existing in society that you have no choice but to use it. And that's the goal. And the, but then, like, once you accomplish that goal, you have to start asking yourself, is this a private entity or is this the, the town in which I live? And should I not be able to vote for who runs it if this is, like, uh, if this is the place where I physically exist?
1: So, Hank, I've been without Facebook, Reddit, Instagram, and Twitter for about 14 hours now. And so far, <laughs> I would estimate that I have typed tw into Google Chrome to go to Twitter 500 times. Oh, And when I go, I just get a message that says, you have turned the ability to visit this website off until midnight on December 30th, not even a whole year, only like 20 days. And I'm like, oh, right, of course. It's so, it's muscle memory at this point. The other thing that I've already seen from this experiment is that a lot of what I look for is like visual stimulus. Like a, mm. a lot of what I want is is some kind of new information. There's a little dopamine rush that I get when I get colorful, interesting mm-hmm. information, especially if it's like slightly visually complicated. So the only time I felt at all normal today was when somebody sent me a link to a Zillow page like a house that just went on the market. (laughs) And I was like, oh yeah, that looked kind of like the internet is supposed to feel. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Look at all the colors. This next question comes from Susanna, who uh, has a has a problem like Maria. Dear Hank and John, my best friend recently convinced me to try out for the local play, *The Sound of Music*. When I tried out, I only wrote one thing on my card: "I want to be a minor character." I hope this that would only land ends me... one way. <laughs> I hope this would land me a spot as an extra. Uh, or an ensemble member, apparently the casting director did not read or completely ignored what I wrote because I ended up being Maria. My best friend tried out for that role, and she would get it if I quit, but she said that she'd much rather be in the play with me uh, and keep her part as lethal. Should I quit and let her have the part, or should I keep the part and enjoy the play with my friend? Rhymes with Banana
1: Susanna, boy oh boy, do you have time to be Maria? I mean, how do you solve a problem like Maria? Hank, this is almost exactly the plot of one of Alice's favorite picture books, Fancy Nancy and the Mermaid Ballet, Mm. in which Fancy Nancy is convinced that she's going to be playing a mermaid, one of the central characters in the Mermaid Ballet, but she doesn't get that part. Instead, she gets the part of a tree. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And her best friend is eventually cast as a mermaid. Fancy Nancy is devastated but learns to live with it. And I think that as long as you have the time, Susanna, and the energy and the desire to play Maria, you clearly have the talent. So Mm -hmm. go for it, and your friend will eventually be proud of you, just as Fancy Nancy is eventually proud of her friend.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's such a cool... Like, first of all, Liesl's a great part, so there's nothing wrong with being Liesl. Um, Second... It's such an amazing and weird opportunity to be the lead in a in a play, and uh, and in my experience, I've never I've never acted in any stage production, but I have witnessed it from behind the scenes, and I've been part of productions, and it just seemed, it's just such a wonderful way of finding a community and building friendships and doing something amazing and creating something for lots of people to enjoy. That uh, that I, I would definitely not disengage from the process completely just because. Of, you know, potential strife in your friendship, especially if your friend has said that they're fine with it. Do it. Be the problem that is Maria. (laughs)
1: it is so cool there's something about theater that feels much more like the best parts of summer camp than anything else i've done in adulthood yeah you just feel connected to people you feel in it together it's so fun so i Mm -hmm. i agree go for it be maria unless you don't have time and then go to the director and be like i need to be i don't know like the Seventh most important <laughs> child.
0: Yeah, just, I want to be one of the
1: one of the middle ones that nobody knows. Yeah, I want to be the Peggy Schuyler of the sound of music. All right, Hank, we have another question. This one comes from Cade, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I started listening to the pod in September at my work-study job, mostly data entry and data analysis, and I've now listened to every episode. I was sending an email to a professor I hope to work with doing research while at lunch, and without thinking, signed it, pumpkins and penguins. Oh, wow. Should I just send a follow-up email apologizing or right. act like nothing ever happened? Yeah saying a charade, Cade. Yeah, you, gotta, you just got to be like, that's just me. That's who I am. Yeah, in like four years when you've been working with this professor for several years, you can say, hey, do you remember uh, that um, email that I sent where I signed off Pumpkins and Penguins? And they'll be like, yeah, that was a little weird. And you'll be like, yeah, it's this podcast that I like. But you can't say anything now.
0: I think, honestly, I think you just got to sign off every single email with a different cute sign off. Like oh, pumpkins for the rest and of your life today, uh, just do violets and violas the day after that. Chapstick and Chilworth, Chil- Chilworth, fabrics the day after that.
1: <laughs> is that a thing? <laughs> I feel like this placemat is called Chilworth. Chapstick, chapstick, and Timothy Chalamet's Cade. <laughs>
0: Dollhouses and dingoes. Cade, <laughs> um, effervescence and Evie Lynch, <laughs> Horace and Hamilton the musical, Cade,
1: foxes and I—I <laughs> I literally can't think of another word that starts with the letter F. Baritone. I was going to say philosophy, oh, but that—that—that that, that doesn't.
0: No, if, if, uh, foxes and philosophy is great. Boxes and baritones, Cade.
1: That's weird. I mean, all the other ones seem totally normal. <laughs> <laughs> that one seems a little weird. Candy bars and CompuServe. John, are we,
0: what are we doing? I'm so tired.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Zebras and Zillow. I think you've just gotta become the person who has the cute alliterative sign-offs. That's just who you are now.
0: The only thing I'd say is you gotta avoid getting too like, don't go creepy. Stay very far away from anything like like knives in the New York Knickerbockers. You can't do that. Cause I don't know.
1: I don't know what you mean. Why are there knives involved? Yeah, I completely agree, Hank. You've got to leave weapons out of your sign-offs in general. But I don't think there's anything wrong with pumpkins and penguins. Like, if I got an email that was a semi-work email from someone, and they signed off pumpkins and penguins, I would be like, you know, that's a little weird, but the world is full of weirdnesses.
0: Another question, John. It comes from Amanda, who asks, Dear Hank and John, So the last time I put gas in my car, it was $2.59 per gallon, but driving to work the other day, I noticed the price had dropped to 239 cents. That's 20 cents in like two weeks. What causes gas prices to change? Be it some weird flux, is it is something about the economy? I don't know about. Is it related to the production of gasoline? Like they just didn't make enough, so it costs more? Or is there some executive guy sitting in a chair someday, or saying, sitting in a chair somewhere, saying, "I feel generous this week. Let's drop the price of gasoline. I've decided. My name is my name is Knife Nickabocker. That's <laughs> please help me with this very pressing question: gas and math, Amanda."
1: The price of gasoline is complicated, and it has something to do with the price of oil. It has more to do with the price of moving that oil around and especially with the price of refining that oil. Yeah, that too. So if there are issues at the refinery that slow down production that can raise the price of gasoline, the cost of oil can raise the price of gasoline, it probably isn't one rich person sitting at a desk deciding the price of gas. But at the same time, the notion that it's an entirely free and open market in which the prices are set wholly by consumers Mm. is also wrong. So it's somewhere in the middle.
0: Yeah, it has a lot to do with international relations as well. Also, you will sometimes hear economists being like, "Gas prices are down. Uh oh!" So they get concerned. They're worried, right? And that's usually because that means people are buying less gas, which is often because yeah. companies are buying less gas because they are doing less business. Um, so gas right. prices actually go down when the economy is worse. Um, but it also they also go down when like when like. Com- countries are trading with each other
1: more, so there's lots of different things. um It is weird how much the price of gasoline fluctuates versus the price of other things that we buy regularly, right? Yeah. So n- the price of milk does not change much week to week. Nobody ever says like, "Oh God, I can't believe that milk is nine dollars a gallon this week. It was seven dollars a gallon." La- I have no idea how much a gallon of milk costs. <laughs> not
0: that um, neither of those
1: amounts. <laughs> Uh, okay, let me, ask you, let me ask you a higher or lower question. Is a gallon of milk more or less than $2? It's more than $2. Is it more or less than $5?
0: Less usually, it's, unless it's like fancy dancy milk.
1: I mean, that's a great deal. That's a gallon of consumable liquid. <laughs> but you know what's an even better deal? Gas. How is it that gasoline <laughs> is half the price of milk per gallon? I don't know. I don't milk know because, comes out like, of a, a because you just got to take the
0: gas out of the ground. You got to get yeah. the you got to get the milk out of a cow. That's a living That's animal. You have to keep it
1: alive. You have, you have to-, to raise a cow and then milk it and then send that milk to market, and it spoils quickly. And yeah. yet somehow it is twice as cheap to get oil from deep inside the ground. In the fo- like, and yet somehow it is twice as cheap to get oil from deep inside the ground, ship it to a refinery, turn it into gasoline, and then ship it to your gas station. Well, it's hard to do both of those things. Turns
0: out, turns out it's all difficult. Um, also, what you know, another thing that amazes me, John, is the, the distance that I can drive a big car on a gallon of gasoline. It's a gallon, like I can hold it in my hand, and it moves my car for yeah. like 20 or 30 miles.
1: Yeah, it is, that is impressive car, now that I think about it. It's
0: amazing.
1: Yeah, that is amazing. I mean, I know that we need like far more fuel efficient cars, but that is pretty cr- crazy that we can move a car 30 miles with yeah. a gallon. of. I'd never thought about that before, Hank. Now, my mind, my... my <laughs> very tired <laughs> post project for awesome mind is completely blown right now <laughs> like yeah. imagine and imagine if cars ran on milk <laughs> i mean like we do exactly
0: like baby cows do
1: okay hank question for you can a human mm-hmm. be fueled more miles by a gallon of milk or can a car be fueled more miles by a gallon of gasoline.
0: Well, it would it would definitely depend on the car. Um, so, so like, yeah, a, a very big car. Definitely, I think a human could bike farther on the energy in a gallon of milk than a very. No, forget big about car.
1: biking, Hank. No, you're you're relying upon a, a transportation. I'm saying a human, a human just with walking. their own human parts. Okay, just walking human parts. or running. Do you go further with a gallon of milk or do you go further by getting in a car and using a gallon of gas? Okay, Hank, a gallon of milk, according to this website I just went to, has 2,300 calories. Mm -hmm. 2,300 calories, at least at my running pace, at my calorie burning pace, Mm -hmm. is about 14 or 15 miles. So it's about as good as a really large gas guzzler car.
0: Yeah, except that like you just move your puny little you know hundred ninety pound flesh sack around, whereas that truck
1: moves like a two thousand pound Hemi. Which reminds me that today's podcast is brought to you by Hemis. Are Dodges? Are they Chryslers? Are Chryslers and Dodges the same? I can't remember.
0: This podcast is also brought to you by Timothy Chalamet. Timothy Chalamet is an actor.
1: Oh my god, are you not familiar with Timothy Chalamet's work? I know just, that he's an attractive young man. Just Google him.
0: Okay, done. There he is. He his middle name is Hal.
1: He was so good in Lady Bird, and also he's so easy on the eyes. Speaking of easy on the eyes, today's podcast is also brought to you by Zillow. Zillow, it's the only thing John has left.
0: And also this podcast is brought to you by CompuServe. (laughs) John is also quitting CompuServe for the next year. Uh, A little bit less work, though, than the other platforms.
1: Okay, Hank, our next question comes from Chloe, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I just finished an absolutely remarkable thing, Hank's book, and my first thought was, I need a brand. Oh, gosh. That there was you... not my first thought when I read Hank's book. My first thought after reading Hank's book was, I need less of a brand. <laughs> okay. Tell me... keep, keep going. Keep going. Chloe, however, is already a brand of perfume and cosmetics, and Eastwood, my last name, is pretty much a movie genre. How does one brand herself when the words are taken? I could be the sweetest-smelling Western movie ever, but I'd like to brand myself another way, Chloe Eastwood.
0: I mean, but what—I don't think that there's a Chloe Eastwood brand. Not yet. There's about to be. I mean, it's a lovely name. That's a good, your parents did a good job. They had Eastwood already. They didn't have to come up with that one, but Chloe Eastwood, it works well together. I'm a fan. Uh, what, what, it's not so much about the, the name of the brand. It's also about what you want the brand to represent. Which is what, uh,
1: which is really what you don't want to do to yourself as a human being. Yeah, the risk of being a brand, Chloe Eastwood, and I'm going to call you by your first and last name because it's so phenomenal. The risk of being a brand is that then you just become a series of like symbols and associations Mm -hmm. in people's minds instead of being like a human.
0: Yeah, the process of becoming a brand is the process of like whittling down your humanity into just a couple of identifiable, ideally positive traits. Uh, And... That's one, it's not true, it's a little bit like dishonest, and two, uh, it's very limiting, and that's very easy and good for a perfume because you want it to have just a few very positive traits and nothing else associated with it, but it's not a good thing for a person because we're very complicated, we have many facets, and we change a lot throughout our lives.
1: On the other hand, Hank and I are answering this question as if he and I have not benefited (laughs) so, so much from distilling ourselves into a few easy to remember and mostly positive adjectives.
0: It's true. Strokes.
1: So, so as much as, as 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 much as I want to be like, oh Chloe, you don't have to become a brand. Like that's easy for me to say. A, the fact that I'm a brand is what bought me my nice car that gets 25 miles to the gallon <laughs> and drives by itself as long as I'm going straight. <laughs> John, uh, you want to know an amazing thing that happened to me today?
0: I was getting a, a burrito with my friends. I left yeah. the place and uh, yeah, and I'd noticed some kids, some high school age kids there, uh, glancing over uh, as sometimes yeah. happens because crap course and uh and then as I left we were all hanging out saying bye out in front and uh and one of the kids came out and he yelled over to me you're my hero John
1: (laughs) (laughs) so uh you know you're my brand well well thank you random kid in a parking lot Hank I have to say one of the reasons I continue to drive my fairly beat up fairly old car is that I think it would be bad for my brand to buy the car that I want
0: uh, I mean, that's a legitimate thing. Uh, well, I mean, it's partially because, like, it would be bad for my brand, and it's, like, not on brand. And it's partially because, like, well, why is it not on brand? Because probably I should be spending that money more wisely.
1: Oh, yeah, no. it it I should not buy the car that I want, because the car that I want is very expensive. And... What a silly waste of money to spend a lot of money on a thing that is functionally identical to the version of it that costs a quarter as much.
0: Yeah. Yeah, especially in a world where there is a lot of need for capital.
1: Yeah, the only thing that I've bought in my life that's four times as expensive as the inexpensive version that's actually worth it is – you guessed it, Hank – my toilet. My <laughs> fancy toilet is so worth the money.
0: Okay, well, I, I, I don't know what I'm missing, and maybe I don't want to know what I'm missing. This next question comes from Allie, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I am an eighth grade student. I'm sorry, we just talked a bunch about John's toilet. It was weird. And don't get me wrong, I love school. But when asking a teacher about an assignment, I happened to glimpse a large ceramic jar with an extremely large cork in it. Upon it was engraved ashes of problem students. Should I be concerned? If so, what should I do? Ghost the teacher? Steal the jar? Ask for a class switch? Help me be not in the jar. Not Diagon Alley.
1: Allie, by virtue of the fact that you were able to write the following sentence, I am an eighth grade student, and don't get me wrong, I love school. You... Are doing great.
0: I think you're safe from being in the jar.
1: I assume that it's not actually for any students, but if it is, then like we've got a class A emergency. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, it's, do we, do we do it. We have a pedagogy problem in the US. I think that we could be doing education better, but in general, I don't think
1: that the, the problem students go into jars. Well, yeah, let's hope not. Anyway, <laughs> Allie, I think you need to take the jar in the presumably fairly genial way it was intended. Yeah. Although... <laughs> I don't find it that funny, I have to say. But then again, I don't have to deal with the education system in the United States on a daily basis. I'm sure there's some coping mechanisms involved for teachers.
0: Sure. Allie, I got an idea. Bring in your teacher's favorite candy and be like, it's for your jar. And then...
1: (laughs) I thought you might want to, like, rebrand your jar so that now it's the home of candy for my favorite students
0: yeah or it's just candy from my favorite teacher i mean kissing up to teachers first of all it's impo- it's a, a good thing to do because they have a hard job that they it is great and important second it's never going to be bad for you it's not ne- like
1: it's true bring
0: bring it used to be an apple but like at this point we're in a
1: world where there's so many better sweets the problem with being a kid is that you don't and you kind of can't have an appreciation for how difficult a job teaching Mm -hmm. is and how much of a person's self they are committing to you when they're teaching you. So try to remember that, although Allie seems like she's doing a great job.
0: I think you're doing a great job. I think you're safe.
1: All right. This next question comes from Lindsay, and it's solid gold. Dear John and Hank, I was at my favorite local Mexican restaurant with my then boyfriend, and I was working up the nerve to break up with him. Just as I was about to start transitioning to that topic, I saw my friend standing in line, and she came over to say hi. She'd never seen my boyfriend before, as it's a very new thing, and we weren't officially dating even. She then proceeded to ask after a little bit of small talk, who is this? And I was at a loss for words. I couldn't just introduce him without adding our relationship. This is X, my boyfriend slash brother slash dog sitter. But I also was fully intending on changing that status in the next five to ten minutes. I ended up just saying my friend. But I'm pretty sure that just hurt his feelings before I performed the final blow of the actual breakup. I want to know how anyone else would have handled this situation as I am in a constant state of self-doubt and anxiety regarding what I say or do. Woohoo. Any advice, dubious or not. Is appreciated.
0: Oh wow! Well, I mean, I think you you did the thing. Like you're to it's gonna hurt no matter what.
1: In this situation, you don't state the person's relationship to you. You just say their name. So you just say, "This is Timothy Chalamet." You don't say, "This is my <laughs> friend or boyfriend, Timothy Chalamet." You just say, "This is Timothy." That is key, I think, no matter what, because. You don't want the person to be introduced to their status in your mind via an introduction. Like you never want to find out that you're somebody's boyfriend when they tell someone else who you are, right? That said, the best way to handle this situation would have been: hey, this is Timothy Chalamet, who's <laughs> about to be my ex-boyfriend. <laughs> and that's uh, how that that way you kill two birds with one stone. Right. You've established You've yeah. established who the person is for your friend, and you've, in, I would argue, the gentlest way possible, let Timothy Chalamet know sure. that uh, things aren't going to be continuing.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're just like, you're like t- talking to your friend, and then as you're saying it, you turn to look into his eyes and be like, this is my friend, <laughs> this is my, this is Tim, he's about to be my ex-boyfriend. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't want to tell you like this, but thank you for the lovely Mexican food. Uh if you want to do a debrief, uh, if that's going to be important for you, we can do that now. We can do it later. Either is fine. Um, but yeah, but this is done with. So Tim, there's
1: been a development. <laughs> I remember when Sarah broke up with me, a very similar situation. We weren't really dating. Like nothing was official. But at the same time, like we were dating enough that Sarah felt like she had to mention to me that we wouldn't be dating anymore. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, she handled it so brilliantly, as I'm sure Lindsay handled it. But the thing is, Lindsay, there's no way for there not to be hurt feelings or sadness on the other side of that. I also think I handled getting dumped, which I usually handled very, very poorly in my life. But I think in that one instance, I handled it really well. And thank God, because like four months later, we got back together and ended up getting married. So... Thank God I handled it well. I I don't think there's any way to, like, break up with someone without there being hurt feelings. That's just not how it works. All you can try to be is compassionate and empathetic, and it seems like you were doing that. It's just that you got interrupted in the middle of that experience in an unexpected way. I think friend is probably the right way to describe that person. Yeah. Friend and Academy Award nominee.
0: (laughs) This next question comes from the Bailey Planet who asks dear Hank and John, I had to pick a book to read for my college class and I was pumped to read it when I chose it off the list, but now as the deadline approacheth, I hate this book. How do I make this book as enjoyable as when I first chose it? How do you make a how do you make a book a book you like when you've started to not like a book anymore, John?
1: Well, the problem may be that you liked the book's title and reputation, but you don't like the book, in which case I think you've got to say, I felt like this book did not live up to its reputation. On the other hand, like, is is there something to, like, there is, like, if you look
0: deeply, if you think hard enough, like, there is something good in everything, like, there is something to be enjoyed there if it is examined properly?
1: Um, No.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, also second. I have a second thing then, because I trust you. Um is it important that we only consume media that we like, or is it important that we also consume media that we that like isn't working for us? Like should we sometimes consume media that's like, eh, because it's a, it's allowing us to understand something?
1: Yeah, I think you can learn a lot from a book that isn't a great book. Sometimes you can learn more from from them in some ways, because you can see the strings of the puppets, right? So you mm-hmm. can see what the author is doing, and that helps you to understand how story works. Yeah. And then you can apply that to your own writing, or you can apply it to other books that you read, and it can help you to become a more critical reader. I don't think that there's a ton of value in finishing every book you start or yeah. feeling like you need to read, you know, the 100 best books of the 20th century according mm-hmm. to someone or any of that stuff. Like, I, I think that there's a lot of value in reading broadly and there's a lot of value in reading stuff that you might not expect to like or reading outside of the genres that you know you love. Right. But I don't think that we like, have to finish every book we read and I don't think we have to give a positive review to every book. That said, like, I remember hating hating The Great Gatsby when I was in high school and just thinking this book, I wrote a paper about it that is so cringy mm-hmm. that like if if I even like look at one phrase in that paper, I want to like fold into myself until I become like as small as the universe was in the moment before the Big Bang.
0: <laughs> Be- I, I, I whole, recently whole... found a bunch of old essays from, from uh, college and grad school that I was like, ooh, potential project for awesome perks. And then I was like, nope,
1: nope, nope, nope. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I am tremendously embarrassed by the way I felt about The Great Gatsby when I was a teenager, but it's also kind of instructive for me to understand that because... I, it turns out I was just wrong. Like the problem wasn't with Gatsby, right? Like the problem wasn't with F. Scott Fitzgerald. The problem was partly with the time in my life when I read it. And it was also, and it was also with my approach to reading it, which is that I had decided in advance that I did not like this kind of story about these kinds of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I do think that when you're reading something, you need to consider the possibility that for lack of a better term, the problem might be you. So whenever I find myself like reading a book and getting really angry with it, sometimes I'm getting angry because I do deeply disagree fundamentally with the arguments that the book is making. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the problem is actually me. And Sometimes a book isn't like, it's just not, it's not for where I am right now,
0: or it's not for me. But that doesn't mean that like, I can't read it and get something out of it still.
1: All right, Hank. This next question comes from Danny, who writes, "Dear John and Hank, a guy I had been seeing for about a month just stopped talking to me all of a sudden. This wouldn't be that bad, except for he'd added me on all social media platforms before disappearing, like all of them, including LinkedIn. My question <laughs> is, what should I do next? <laughs> all of them, comma, including LinkedIn, is LinkedIn's <laughs> new advertising slogan. You've we got all. We are also of them. here." <laughs> You've got all of them, but do you have LinkedIn?
0: <laughs> During the last episode of Delete, this uh, Catherine and I watched this uh, competitive uh, canoeer, like synchronized canoe action dance. Sure, it was really yeah. great. And uh, and I looked up the guy, and uh, the only thing I could find about him was his LinkedIn page, uh, the canoeer. And do you know what he does for a living, John?
1: What's his job on LinkedIn? He is
0: a canoe carpenter. makes
1: canoes well that seems like a pretty good job actually yeah that's much better than my job description on linkedin which is staring into the middle distance is that what it actually says no i don't have ai don't i don't know how to have a linkedin you don't have a linkedin well i certainly don't have one now i don't even have a twitter anymore (laughs) oh my gosh i haven't why do i have a linkedin john Great question. I mean also related other than so that I can enjoy delete this every week, why do you have a Twitter? Uh, I don't have a good re- reason. Danny's Danny goes on to write, "My question is, what should I do now? Should I remove him from all of these platforms? Should I request money from him on Venmo for emotional distress?"
0: No, I don't think that's allowed.
1: <laughs> well, it is a way of saying we're connected via Venmo. That'll be a <laughs> reminder to this guy who ghosted Danny. Should I show up where he is on my Snap Map and give him a piece of my mind? Oh Can my you God. see
0: where people are on a Snap Map?
1: Oh, my God. Is that true? Can you really see where people are on a Snap Map? Hopefully like, are all of your Snapchat your friends. friends, like, at all times, like, if you look at a map, you can see all over Earth where all of your Snapchat friends are? That's a thing? I haven't
0: opened Snapchat in a while. Oh, wow.
1: Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I grow old. I grow old. I shall wear the bottoms of my trousers rolled. Yes. I think you've got to hit him up on LinkedIn and be like, hey, I was hoping that we could uh, network because nothing gets you blocked faster in my experience than that. (laughs) Just start asking him for jobs. Danny, I think it would be a pretty interesting exercise to show up where this person is on their snap map and just be like, I want you to know that none of us is ever aware of how much data we are sharing and that you are sharing this data with me right now. Yeah. And so okay. Sure. They, use, it, use it
0: as a, a way of uh, protesting the, the current state of digital infrastructure or just unfriend him on everything. It's over. Yeah, I don't think you guys no. are going to hang out anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem like you're going to hang out anymore. I would, I would be the bigger person in this situation, do a mass unfriending. And is, it, is that
0: how it goes? Because I don't know, man. None of this stuff existed when I was
1: oh, single. I have, I have no idea. I do. I have. It seems so complicated now. Oh, yeah. I mean, can you imagine having like. I, it was, it was torture for me to have my ex-girlfriend's phone numbers, like, in, in my brain, like, memorized and know that I could call them and also know that I shouldn't, mostly because my roommate Shannon was saying, don't, don't call stop. her. Stop. Stop. <laughs> don't do that. Thanks, Shannon.
0: We all appreciate it. <laughs>
1: Thank you Shannon and Hassan and Katie. Thank you. I was going to say wherever you are but that makes it seem like they're in heaven when really they're just in Michigan <laughs> mainly. <laughs> um, Michigan and Chicago. So I think <laughs> things are fine.
0: As far as I can tell, like if you're not going to continue having a relationship with someone, if you're if you're like we had a thing and like we're not friends and we don't like have a bunch of shared friends, it yeah, it's yeah, it's done. Take them off the medias. You got enough people that you're trying to keep up with.
1: God knows.
0: Got to focus Ugh. on good friends and have good experiences with them. Good, interesting connections. Add them on. Add them on Marco Polo. Wait, what's Marco
1: Polo? Can I get access to that one?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, John. No, I definitely said no. I think it is against your current current situation. I know very little about it. I found out about it today.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll just stick with Zillow then. All the pretty pictures.
0: <laughs> John's just got to be shopping for houses for the next year.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I quite like my house.
0: Yeah. No, you're not going to buy any of them.
1: Where have all oh, the no. websites
0: <laughs> John, do you, you got have any news from AFC Wimbledon for us? <laughs>
1: Before we get to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, though, I need to share this email from Jess, who wrote in to say, "Dear John and Hank, I have one comment and one question regarding the umbrella conversation from a recent episode. Hank, as you'll remember, I am opposed to umbrellas as I think they unfairly create inside." outside, which makes me very uncomfortable philosophically. In The line, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Mr. Tumnus is carrying an umbrella in the snow when he first meets Lucy. When I see someone carrying an umbrella in the snow, it makes me think of that, and it makes me happy, so we should all follow Mr. Tumnus's example. I don't agree, Jess. John, if umbrellas are so upsetting to you because they create a small inside in the outside, how do you feel about tents? Well... I'll tell you, Jess, when a tent is a proper tent, which is to say that its sides go all the way to the ground and it is a thing that you sleep in that is waterproof, that is inside, that's fine. But those open air tents that are just like basically large umbrellas that that have like a, a tent structure on the top and then the walls where the walls ought to be in any proper inside space. Instead, there's just air. I find those horrifying
0: I mean, I'm making a face over here that could be read as skeptical that you have any connection recently to any kind of tent.
1: Oh, no. I uh, I sleep outside regularly with my kids who insist on going on outside adventures and camping out in the backyard until like ten fifteen when they're like, this isn't comfortable. Okay. Although I have to say... During the most recent sleep out, it was me who broke. And I was like, we got to go inside, guys. This is ridiculous. We have a bed 45 feet away. All right. Anyway, I'm, I'm totally in favor of those tents. But those open air tents are an absolute abomination. Speaking of abominations. Oh, gosh. No, actually, the news from AFC Wimbledon isn't that bad in the scheme of things. We tied a game. Hey. We tied it. We tied it one-one. We played Rochdale, or possibly Rochdale, Rockdale. Nobody knows how to say fictional English place names. The <laughs> point is that we tied one-one. We went down one-nil. I got very frustrated, but then Andy Barcham scored in the seventieth minute. It was a great goal too, and Andy Barcham in general had a wonderful game. And I was reminded that if AFC Wimbledon had eleven Andy Barchams, we would never lose a game. But alas, we have only one. Hmm. Where are the other ones? I don't know where they all are, but AFC Wimbledon are still in 23rd place out of 24 teams, drifting, drifting, six points from safety.
0: Well, the news from Mars, John, as you know, Mars's Insight lander has a seismometer on it. Seismometers oh, yeah. detect, get this, vibrations, um, Mars quakes. Yeah, and so they're going to detect some very, very, do a very sensitive job of of detecting Mars quakes. But at the moment, the seismometer hasn't been placed on the surface of Mars yet. But it is the first instrument on Mars that is capable of detecting vibrations and another name for vibrations when they happen in the air is sounds and so we have just gotten our first recording of the surface of Mars really um, so they took the uh, they took the vibrations of the seismometer they convert they converted that into the stuff that we can hear like it's not even mm-hmm. it's not even like pitch shifted so this is the sound of the wind flowing over the mars lander and i'm going to it's it's you won't be able to hear it unless you got good headphones on because it's really low and bassy and i'm just going to have nick put it in right here
1: so that is what i would actually hear if i were on the surface of mars right now
0: yeah if you were if you had your space suit off and you were dying like the last 30 seconds of my yeah.
1: life other than the noises I was making those would be the noises
0: <laughs> yeah as long as you were next to the Mars Insight lander because I think that that is affecting how the sound what the sound that's being created because it's like the the wind blowing over the
1: lander Hank that reminds me of one of my favorite songs where has all the atmosphere gone oh good mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: It got got blown off by the
1: solar wind. Uh, Thanks to everybody for listening to this dumb podcast. Oh, God, I am so excited about taking a nap. Thank you for potting with me. Thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, Thanks to WNYC for their ongoing support of our ridiculousness. And I think Hank is going to read the... uh, I forgot what they're called. Credits. Dear and John is a co production of Complexly and WNYC Studios.
0: It is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. Our producers are Rosianna Halls, Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our head of community and communication is Victoria Bongiorno. The music you're listening to is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't,
1: don't forget, forget to be, to be awesome. awesome.